today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. My guess is, is that these young men probably had a hard time keeping up with the Apostle Paul. I mean, when you get a guy with that much zeal, that much fervor, that much passion, man, unless you got the same zeal and that much passion, man, he's going and he's moving and he's running ahead of you. And you're a young guy trying to keep up with this old rabbi that some people said he had problems with his legs, problems with his eyesight. And here he is, he's taking off and you're trying to keep up continually. And yet through him, the spread of Christianity and the birth of so many churches in that first century brings about literally what we see today in Christendom all over the world. Many of us are probably all too familiar with what we often refer to as the Pauline epistles in the New Testament of the Bible. However, more often than not, we tend to familiarize ourselves with his letters to the churches rather than his pastoral ones. In today's message, Pastor David introduces us to Paul's letter to a young individual that we might be familiar with, Timothy. In our study, we'll reflect on the passion and zeal that the Apostle Paul, who no doubt expected nothing less from young Timothy. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, the pastoral epistles, an intro to 1 Timothy. Now, one of the things we know about the Apostle Paul was the guy had a passion for Christ. I mean, he had a a, a zeal that was literally unstoppable. I mean, they tried to put him in chains. They tried to put him in prison. They stoned him, thought he was dead. He came back into the city. I mean, the guy was unstoppable. The passion that he had for Jesus Christ was so deep, and so strong within his life, it showed in every way possible as he ministered to as much of the known world as he could at that point in time. The gospel through the Apostle Paul spread through regions again in that day and time that you got to think about this for a moment. At that point in that day and time, there was no printing press. There was no Facebook post that he could do and say, hey, I found Jesus, you need to find him too. There was no Twitter reports that he could do in 141 characters or less of newfound faith in Christ. There was no way that he was going to be able to get on the internet. There was no radio waves that he could spread it out, speak one message, and literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands all over that known area could hear it. None of that was available. None of our modern transportation was even available. He couldn't, while he was in Jerusalem or in Antioch, get online or call up and book a flight from there to go over to Ephesus. No, everywhere that he went, everywhere that he traveled, you need to understand the, the, the traveling, gosh. It was Maybe you were fortunate to have horseback or camel or or donkey 
or perhaps a cart that's pulled by one of those. Oh, there were times that he was in a ship and sailed from one port to another, but even that was pretty dangerous, as we know from, again, the shipwrecks that he had had. More often than not, the traveling from one point to another was through the two feet that God had given him, walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. But you know, one of the cool things about all of that walking is the guys that went with him had him there, right there. And so all of that zeal, all of that passion for Christ, he was able to pour in to these men as they traveled with him. His understanding of what the Holy Spirit was revealing to him about the truth of Christ. And as they go and, and, and give birth to churches in this city and this city, villages here and countrysides here, again, seeing the hand of God working many times in supernatural ways and being able to pour this in to these young men's lives as they walked along with him. A great opportunity. Two of those men that he poured into were a young man by the name of Timothy and another young man by the name of Titus. We're going to begin this morning a whole new series as we go through what are called the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles as he writes the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. These two men, Timothy and Titus, who had traveled with him on many of his missionary journeys, had been with him through much of the conflict that he had to deal with as he's sharing the gospel. And now they have positions of authority, positions of being pastors in areas that we'll get into. My guess is, is that these young men probably had a hard time keeping up with the Apostle Paul. I mean, when you get a guy with that much zeal, that much fervor, that much passion, man, unless you got the same zeal and that much passion, man, he's going and he's moving and he's running ahead of you. And you're a young guy trying to keep up with this old rabbi that some people said he had problems with his legs, problems with his eyesight, and here he is, he's taking off, and you're trying to keep up continually. And yet through him, the spread of Christianity and the birth of so many churches in that first century brings about literally what we see today in Christendom all over the world. And again, it wasn't just keeping up with him physically. One of the things we know about the Apostle Paul, particularly in his beginning stages of ministry, he wasn't necessarily an easy guy to get along with. Because of that zeal, I believe, I think because of that passion, if you don't have that kind of passion, you might as well stay on the front porch, son, because we're going on. We're moving into the move and the work of the gospel. If you don't want to keep up, then you go back home. You know the story of John Mark there in the book of Acts. John, another young man that was traveling with the Apostle Paul, gleaning from him just like Timothy and Titus. John Mark with him in that first missionary journey. And then partway through, John says, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to go home. We, we don't really know the reason why John went home. We don't know if it was a family reason, if he got homesick, or if he you know, got, got uh, concerned about the attacks and the press of the enemy. We don't know. But we do know this. John Mark went home, and that was such a big deal to the Apostle Paul that when he got ready to go out again and Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark again. Paul says, no way, Jose. It's not going to happen. We're not taking John Mark with us. Why? Because he quit 
He's a quitter. When we look at this, yeah, hard guy. Now, the other thing we need to see and understand is later on in ministry, we know that John Mark was an important part of Paul's ministry. And he tells Timothy later on that, make sure and bring John Mark with you. Because again, he's, he's profitable for me. So I think it's both ways. I think maybe John Mark matured a little bit. But I, I also believe that probably the Apostle Paul kind of mellowed out and was able to be able to deal with people where they're at too. Again, when we look at this, you got to understand that Paul really didn't have time for quitters because he knew the ministry that God had called him to. Is ministry tough? Absolutely it's tough. It's tough in a multitude of levels and ways. But you know what? The blessings are in a multitude of ways too. And God, again, shows his blessing over and over and over again. Do you need to have thick skin to be in the ministry? Absolutely, you do. As a matter of fact, I've heard one individual put it, what you need to have is the, the skin of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove to be in the ministry. You need to allow stuff to roll off, but then you also need to have a lot of compassion and care and concern for people. Will people misunderstand you if you're in the ministry? Oh, yes, yes. On, on, on a regular basis, people will misunderstand the actions or the words or the attitudes. But you know what? If you let God be your defense, it works out so much better. When we try to cover our own tracks, people will continue to misunderstand. So again, if people are misunderstanding you in the work of ministry and the direction of life that you're wanting to do to honor God, Let God be your defense in the midst of that. Will there be difficulties rising from within and without within ministry? Absolutely and continually. But you need to understand who it is that is truly behind all of the attacks. And that's Satan himself. And Satan sometimes uses those within ministry, those without ministry, to again cause confusion or frustration. Because of Paul's passion Because of Paul's zeal for the Lord Jesus, he was up to the challenge and he wanted men around him who were up for the same challenge. It was back in 1990 when the Arctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton ran an ad in the local papers of London. The ad was pretty straightforward and to the point. It said, men wanted for hazardous duty, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness and constant danger, safe return, doubtful. (laughs) But honor and recognition in case of success. Now you can just imagine how many people showed up for that, right? You'd be surprised. Actually, thousands showed up for it. Men who were up for the challenge men who saw it as an opportunity to step out of the ordinary of life and to do something extraordinary. My guess is is if Paul was living in our age, he might be able to uh, post a a ministry position on a website like uh, churchjobs.com. And on churchjobs.com, he could word it this way. Men wanted who have already died to self, willing to be a servant, willing to tough it out against all opposition, able to maintain the course even under threat of life. 
You'll often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, but you need to understand the greatest gain and the lasting recognition will be in heaven. Do you know what? I'm sad to say, I don't believe that he would have the thousands turn out like Shackleton did. But I'm certainly glad that Timothy and Titus took him up on that call. Two young men who said, we will surrender it all. We will lay everything aside for the sake of the gospel. And as they did, they not only gleaned a passion for the things of Christ, but they gleaned an understanding about ministry that few in the ministry, even today, have a full grasp of. As these men traveled with the Apostle Paul, he groomed them for ministry. And when the need arose, they both were able, they were both ready to take on the challenge of ministry as Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus and Titus on the Isle of Crete. After Paul had spent almost three years ministering to the church there in Ephesus, he went on and continued on in his missionary journey. A short time after that, on another missionary journey, they came back through the area and Paul realized, man, the church is in an absolute mess. And he he came and, and he found out that there in Ephesus, men had come in teaching false doctrine and, and, and literally heresies within the church and the people were eating it up. Their worship services were, were getting out of order. They were unbalanced. They weren't what they should be. And the church leadership itself was way out of balance. All of this, I'm afraid, was too like the church in Corinth. Remember the church in Corinth? We just went through a series on Wednesday nights on First and Second Corinthians and all the mess that was there in Corinth. But Paul wasn't able to stay at this point in time because, again, the, where he was going, what he had to do. And so at this point in time, he left young Timothy to stay there at Ephesus. Well, except for the name and a few other changes, the story is the same one when it comes to Titus and the church at Crete. There in Crete, the church was out of balance and Paul understood, man, I need to put somebody in there that has the right mind, the right heart to get these things squared away. And so the charge to Titus is very similar to the charge to Timothy. Titus, I want you to go there to the church there on the Isle of Crete. I want you to organize that church. Now that's an interesting thing right there because I talk to people many times and I continually hear this thing, oh, I'm not into organized religion. Really, God is. As a matter of fact, he was the one that organized religion. He organized worship to him. He organized how we ought to worship him. He organized the church. He set before it, again, apostles and pastors and teachers and evangelists and and all these things to, again, do that work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He said, I want you to go and, and, and I want you to appoint elders there at the church in Crete. And yes, there was recognized leadership. There was, a, again, a, an organizational structure. And again, we see that in the life and the heart of God Almighty. Even with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is an organized structure. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Christ. Christ does all things that the Father tells him to do. And yet all three of them equal as God. 
but yet there has to be organization. There has to be structure. Titus, I want you to go to Crete. I want you to teach true. I want you to teach balanced doctrine. Because, beloved, a feel-good gospel is no gospel at all. Because it doesn't touch our hearts and lives where they need to be touched. There was something also different about Crete, though. It's very interesting, the, the history of, of Crete. Actually, most of the people there on the Isle of Crete, they were descendants of pirates, mercenaries, and swindlers. It was kind of like what they did to the country of Australia years and years ago when England would send it over you know, all the prisoners to Australia. Just to get, but Crete is a lot smaller than Australia. So now in this condensed little island, you've got all of these guys, pirates, mercenaries, and swindlers. And then again, the descendants of them are, are what they're looking at now. And that's where you get to be the pastor of, Titus. We're going to send you right to the heart of all these kind of guys. And it's kind of interesting. Paul understood that the going was going to be slow. It was going to be tough. Man, you are going to be on tough, tough ground. As I talk to pastors, it's interesting when one says, man, the Lord has put me on some really hard ground where I pastor. And the next guy says, oh, no, no, the Lord put me on a hard ground. No, 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 the Lord put me on a hard ground. I think everywhere is a hard ground, particularly today. Because people are getting further and further and further away from a grounded foundation, a young foundation in the faith. We're raising up a generation after a generation, now almost the third generation, without any kind of Bible knowledge, without any kind of Christian foundation underneath them. And so, yes, beloved, a hard, hard ground. Where Well, Titus was in a hard place. But these people needed the gospel, just like everyone else needs it. One of the things that we, we read uh, as far as understanding the background of Crete is when Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1, he's talking about how these Cretans are particular people. He says that one of them, actually it's a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. That's one of their own that's saying that. And Paul says, and that testimony is true, by the way. Therefore, Titus, you need to be the guy that goes in there and you need to be the one that rebukes them sharply in order that they might be found, might be found sound in their faith. Titus, you've got that job to do. As we get into this study, we understand that we're speaking of the pastoral epistles. Well, what is an epistle? Well, that's easy. It's a, it's a letter. It's a, it's a written communication. And Paul wrote many epistles. He wrote, again, the epistle to the church of Rome, the epistle to the church of Thessalonica and Corinthians and Ephesians. They're all letters. These particular ones, the pastoral epistles, are called the pastoral epistles because he's writing them to two men who are pastors, Timothy and Titus. And we're going to see in there it's some instruction for leadership in particular. But even beyond that, it's a good word for all of the church as we read it and as we look at it. It was, yes, written to individuals, but it was also good for the entire church. The first few verses of each one of these books tells us, again, who wrote the letters, to whom it was addressed or written to. The letters were written over a time span, actually, of only about four years. It's kind of interesting when we look at this. The, the, the ones that were written first were actually First Timothy 
and Titus. These were written, they believe, between two imprisonments of Paul's. Paul was in prison in Rome twice. Between that first imprisonment and the second is when he would have written 1 Timothy and the book of Titus. 2 Timothy was actually written when Paul was in prison a second time, which was also the final time because from that point in time, Paul was executed. We understand all of this was written around AD 64 to about 67 in that time frame of years. We understand, man, this is, this is just shortly, we're talking 30 years after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ and the churches that have been started being stabilized, but then all of a sudden they're, they're starting to go off balance and, and, and out of kilter, receiving to themselves wrong doctrine, wrong teachings. As we first look at Timothy, I want you to take your Bibles if you would. We're not going to get in-depth to Timothy this morning. This is just an introduction to it. But there's a couple of verses in here that I, I want you to pay attention to. There in 1 Timothy, we find out that uh, Paul addresses some of the problems that he knows are going on in, in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, down in verse 6, we find out that some have already turned aside from the faith. Let me back up and begin reading in verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a sound conscience and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So not only have they gone away from the truth of the gospel, but now they want to be teachers of something they don't even understand. Paul is telling Timothy, man, you need to guard over that. Watch out for that because they're already there in the church. He says that some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Look at verse 19. And again, I'll back up to verse 18 of chapter 1. Paul writes, this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, they've suffer, suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, there's a lot right there that we'll cover when we get there. But number one, did you notice? I can't believe it. Paul mentioned names. <gasps> You're not supposed to mention names of people. Well, Paul did. Actually, Paul does that quite regularly in his writings. Hymenius and Alexander, we don't know if that's Alexander the silversmith uh, that uh, he speaks of elsewhere or if it's another one. But we do know that here he says, I've delivered them over to Satan? Are you kidding me? That's a pretty powerful statement. But the interesting thing about that, even as he says that, Paul says, I've done that in order that they might learn not to blaspheme. Maybe these guys are even brothers. They've gotten so messed up in their walk. They're so messed up that Paul says, man, there might be hope for them.
We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor David's study in the book of 1 Timothy. This book is filled with valuable instruction for church leadership, yet holds plenty of instruction for Christians in general. We can all be leaders in our own sphere of influence, and studying 1 Timothy will give us great insight into God's values in this area. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message on the open word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this program, Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, the Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared. Just go to theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teaching with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our website, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website, once again, is theopenword.com. That's all we have time for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Timothy, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.